We are concluding today. Today is the last week of Centering on Ministry. I'll explain what that is after I remind you of some things that are coming up. So please turn to Colossians 2. And I remind you that every week on Wednesdays, we have our midweek program at Patrick Henry Middle School, about a mile from here on Hall Road, 7 o'clock, Ministries for All Ages. We invite you and encourage you to come. We've completed three of ten weeks in a marriage series. So those of you that didn't know about that but think you might be interested or helped by that, then uh, please come. Not too late to get in, and we could give you the uh, materials from the prior week so that you could catch up. But all of that is 7 o'clock every Wednesday, Patrick Henry Middle School. This Saturday at 4.30 is our Hayride and Bonfire. It's going to be at Fun Acres in South Rockwood. A number of you have already signed up, but today is your last chance to do that. So before you leave today, if you haven't, there's a sign-up sheet so we know how many folks are coming. It's $5 per person, and you can go to the Fun Acres website to see the kinds of stuff they have, a corn maze, a hayride, some stuff for the kids to play on. But also, we're going to have food and bonfire. We'll probably start eating it at 6 o'clock. And for the food, we ask you to bring items, and those items are categorized. I think donuts, cider, and so forth on a, a sheet also at the information center over here. So if you haven't and you're planning to come to the event, if you could bring one of those items, that'd be great. So see that sheet and affix your name to it. That's this Saturday, 4.30. And then next Sunday, we start a new series in this hour called A Newcomer's Orientation. We do that periodically throughout the year for those that are new to our church to, as the name suggests, orient you to uh, our ministry, give you an idea of who we are, what we believe, where we've come from, what we hope to do in the future. And I give you a booklet of material, which over four Sundays, so starting next week and then four Sundays during this hour, uh, we'll go through together. Uh, No obligation at the end of that class for you to join the church. We don't come after you. We don't uh, hassle you. We just want to give you the information so that you can make uh, an informed decision about Uh, whether this would be the place that God would have you. So those of you that are new who have never taken our newcomers orientation, I encourage you to do that. I'll be leading that next week during this this hour. For those of you that will be in here, Brother Ron Biggs is going to uh, teach for a couple of weeks, and then uh, we'll have guest speakers for the four weeks that I'll be leading that, and then I'll come back and persecute you after that's, that's over, all right? So that is uh, one week uh, from today, and then into November, two items I want you to know about. November 17th, Saturday, November 17th, at our house is our periodic newcomer's brunch. So that's for folks that have never been to one of our brunches. And even if you've been here for a long time and you haven't been able to come to the brunches when they were scheduled before, we'd like to have you come over. Uh, But we'd like to know uh, how many people are coming so Kim knows how much brunch to make. So let the folks at the information center know that you're planning to come. They'll put your name down and uh, we'll give you some information as that date approaches. That's Saturday, November 17th from 10 a.m. to noon at, at our house. And then last, the following day, November 18th, is our next baptism. So if you have never been baptized, uh, you need to be because Jesus says so. It's a command. And baptism means you have been dunked in water uh, because baptism symbolizes the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. The word baptism actually means to immerse. So if you were baptized some other way, then you were not baptized the way the the Bible talks uh, about baptism. Uh, If you were baptized as a baby, you were not baptized then as a believer. So you you have two things that need to be corrected. One, you get baptized after you believe, 
And then baptism means getting dunked in water. So we offer the opportunity on November 18th for that. If you have other questions or just not sure about the ins and outs of baptism and all of that, that's why I'm here. I'd love to talk to you about that. So see me. Let me know today even, and we'll set up a time to get together. Those of you parents who have uh, children uh, that you've been uh, thinking about having baptized, I need to know that soon so I can interview them for our November 18 baptism. All right, centering on ministry. And we are concluding this series that started on July 22nd. And the reason that I've taken this time during this hour, which is normally devoted to outreach series, that uh, we send mailers to the community for and invite folks to come and hear uh, a topic of interest, hopefully, to the community and to uh, our congregation as well. But instead, we've taken these many weeks to look at this topic of centering on ministry, and here's why. We are looking by the end of this year, first of next year, to move into a building that we purchased that we call a ministry center. Uh, And we want to get ready, prepare ourselves to be most effective in ministry when we get into that building. And so the play on words, we want to center, focus on ministry. And so over these last several weeks, we've been looking at a number of issues to help us prepare for most effective ministry, hit the ground running uh, when when we do move in. Those of you that have not been here for that entire series, all of our messages uh, for the first hour of worship and this hour are recorded and put on our website, so you can go back and listen to those if you, if you care to. But now as we get to the end, the last several weeks, we've been focusing on preparing ourselves in a particular way, preparing ourselves evangelistically, preparing ourselves to be most effective in giving the gospel to the people that God has prepared for us to reach in Trenton and the surrounding area. And in preparing ourselves to be effective evangelistically, one of the things that I contend is that you need to know your audience. And so a few weeks ago, I talked about characteristics of the audience that we're trying to reach and what they think they need versus what they really need and and that kind of stuff. But also knowing your audience means knowing how you, we, are perceived by them. And so for the last few weeks, I've been talking about How does our community perceive us? Now, what do I mean by us? Not just our church, but in particular. A church that, if there were no issues with these terms, would be known as a fundamental Baptist church. But I say, if there were no issues with those terms. There's certainly an issue, and I think there's a consensus. I think I haven't heard a dissenting voice about this, actually, that... There are issues with the term fundamental in our day, fundamentalist. And that's not because there's uh, actually anything wrong with the term. Uh, I gave a little bit of history going back about 100 years. It was a perfectly good term that uh, represented some perfectly good, valid, in fact, wonderful things. And if it still represented those things, I'd be glad to be known as that. But over time, terms lose their original meaning. And as they are used and misused, they become co-opted. And now they take on a different connotation, if not denotation, in the minds of people who hear them. And that is certainly the case with fundamentalism. It now connotes somebody who's crazy, somebody who's violent even. So people think of a religious fundamentalist. They think of of Islam and jihadist, uh, Islamist kind of uh, uh, approach to Islam. 
And so we get lumped in with that, and that's the way the media uses it, unfortunately. And now you go and tell somebody you're a fundamentalist, you have a huge wall to overcome in trying to reach that person, okay? Well, the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to make the case that a similar thing is happening now with our beloved, and I mean that, beloved label Baptist, that it is undergoing a similar kind of, of change in the popular mind. It is not it is certainly not where fundamentalist is, but I'm going to try to make the case one more time before we leave that I will predict that within my lifetime and maybe early uh, on in the next few years that it will get there, and I will tell you, I'll tell you why. So in trying to make that case to understand how we're perceived and present ourselves in the most accurate way possible, our leadership team is recommending to our church that at our December 2nd family meeting that we make a decision collectively that our church become Community Bible Church. And it is four reasons that I've talked about in the last couple of weeks and we'll finish off today. The label Baptist has, has, has begun to lose uh, its meaning and it's therefore, I think, usefulness uh, for us in the popular mind. And uh, just like fundamentalist, it is becoming associated with people we don't want to be associated with. Last couple of weeks, I've tried to show you some of those people. And it has, I, of necessity, meant the, some sensationalism, that because some of the stuff is so far out, you go, wow, that is, that is whacked. And those of you that have been here the last few weeks, you've seen some of the clips that I've shown you from 2020 and from CNN doing reports just in the last couple of years about independent fundamental Baptist churches that abuse children with their, with their approaches toward corporal punishment, uh, who have been involved in very perverse sexual crimes and covering those, those up. And it's not just, as I'm going to show you today, not just one or two. If it were just one or two, that'd be one thing. It is, it is quite extensive, and I think the lid coming off has just begun. And that's why it's going to get worse, in my personal view. So, I encourage you to listen to what we presented the last couple of weeks if you weren't able to be here. But today I want to continue now showing you why it is that I think that a Baptist is undergoing this similar process to what happened with fundamentalists, such that in the popular mind... If uh, somebody is a religious person who's crazy and not Muslim, people assume they're Baptist. That's what many people do in our day, I'm convinced. Okay, you're a religious zealot, you're nuts. You're not Muslim, you're a Baptist. Now, how do I know this? Um, Terry Jones. You know the guy in Florida? Dove Outreach Center and his you know, three members? But he's made a bunch of noise, right, in the media. Comes up to Dearborn, protests, burns Korans. I ha I've had at least a dozen people say to me, oh, yeah, like that Baptist guy. Now, he's not Baptist. But in their minds, he qualifies because he's crazy and he's religious and he's not Muslim. Therefore, he must be, therefore he must be Baptist. And that kind of thing happens, and I admit readily this is anecdotal, but that kind of thing happens very often, and, and 
If this has not happened to you, then, then wonderful. But I know it's happened to many of you because you've told me. You try to invite someone to come to church. You tell them where you go to church, and you say Community Baptist, and there is a, and there is a noticeable difference in their demeanor toward you. In the summers, we have our ladies go out to the playground on purpose. They go once a week to the playground, have their kids play, and it's for fellowship and fun for the kids, but it's also a, a time of outreach because they want to meet other moms. And as they meet these other moms and they engage in conversation, they say, yeah, we all go to church together. Oh, really? Where do you go? And often there's a shutdown, not always, obviously, but often a shutdown because of the perception in the minds of, of folks about, about Baptists. So, how many of these crazy Baptists are there? I don't know. I don't know how, exactly how many. There's no way to get exact numbers because they're independent. So there's not an agency, there's not a denominational headquarters you can go to to get numbers. So all I can tell you is there's a lot of them. Um, it, it, it appears there's way more of them than there are of us. And their craziness is manifest in uh, a number of ways. Some of the heinous ways with the discipline and the sexual perversity, but then in other ways, like being uneducated. And pastors who preach and preach vehemently and preach regularly things like the King James translation of the Bible is the only translation that is the Word of God. And those who use translations like the New International Version like we do or a New American Standard like many of you have or an English Standard Version that you are using a perverse, that, that's their word, perverse version of the Bible. They are given to conspiracy theories. The Roman Catholic Church has had a conspiracy for centuries to foist this upon Protestantism. I'm not making that up. They will point out that some of the manuscripts used to translate some of the newer, uh, newer uh, versions uh, had the Apocrypha in them. Some of you know what that is. That's uh, extra books between the Old and, and New Testament that are in the Roman Catholic Bible, not in the Protestant canon. But what these uneducated guys don't know, and when you tell them this, have a defibrillator with you. Because they say the King James 1611 is the only version of the Bible that is the Word of God. And they, and they nail 1611. You know, caps, KJV 1611. Sometimes you'll see AV 1611, authorized version 1611. But 1611 is a big deal. I told you a few weeks ago, if you look at a 1611 King James Bible, you can't read it. It's written in a dialect of, of English that is so old that even as an English speaker, you can't read it. But not only that, the King James 1611 had the Apocrypha in it. And I mean it. When you tell this poor soul that, but why do you have to tell this poor soul? Why doesn't he know that? And the reason he doesn't know it is because he was educated at an unaccredited Bible college that is really a glorified campground from which he got a degree that is pretty much worthless. But not only that. These guys at these Bible colleges that they started in their basement of their church give each other honorary doctorates 
So they are all Dr. So-and-so. These guys never had a doctoral class in their life. They don't know Greek and Hebrew. They didn't go to seminary like in the rigors of seminary like I had to go to seminary. But these guys are doctors. I still got to finish a paper to be doctor. But these guys have been doctors for decades. So it is, and it's, it is numerous of these kinds of churches, King James, uneducated, basement Bible college doctorate kinds of things. Now, what are the schools that do this? I told you about Hiles Anderson in Indiana. And the spawn of Hiles Anderson College in Indiana is spread all over the country. So guys have come out of there, started their own churches, and then started their own colleges. So these things have proliferated. So there's Hiles Anderson, and then there's Crown College in Tennessee, and there's Grace Baptist College in Gaylord, Michigan, and there's West Coast Bible College in California, and there's Fairhaven Baptist College in Indiana, and all of them are the same ilk. And there are many, many more. And they turn out these guys who go out and pastor these churches in that way. Now, those are some of the characteristics of these churches. Uneducated. You see that by the King James only stuff. Everybody's a doctor, even though they've never taken a doctoral class or a master's class for that matter. And another characteristic that I alluded to last week is, I called it legalism, but what I mean by it is an emphasis on externals as the, as the measure of spirituality. And that is pervasive in these, in these uh, independent fundamental Baptist churches that I'm describing. And it is the reason I'm convinced. If you want to know why so many of them get involved in violent forms of discipline, why so many of them get involved in sexual perversity, I peg the reason at this issue. Their emphasis is on external behavior, not heart change. And I've asked you to turn to Colossians 2 because the Bible says that external behavior and rules cannot restrain the sin nature. Colossians 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why? As though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, false humility, harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It's nothing about what we Baptists believe that has led to this behavior. Absolutely nothing. It's that these Baptists, and there are unfortunately so many of them, who have adopted this externals-based approach to sanctification that in turn has led to these kinds of heinous behaviors, even criminal behaviors. I, I'm saying that about Baptists. 
I say that about Roman Catholicism as well. Why is there such a huge problem in Roman Catholicism that's been in the news over the last several years? Well, because Roman Catholicism is, is, the, is the preeminent example of a relationship with God based on externals that cannot restrain the, sin, the, the sensual flesh. And so you tell a guy, by your own self-will, be celibate. Good luck with that. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 7. And so you get a whole rules-based system, and it is no surprise at all that people cannot restrain themselves because they don't have the power to do so. And so it's behavioristic in its approach toward discipline. You beat it out of them. You beat it out of the kid. You break their will like you break the will of a horse. We heard some of that on the uh, video and audio last week. And overall, these many, many independent fundamental Baptist churches that are out there abusing the good name of Baptist, overall their greatest crime is that they misuse God's Word. And this is what leads to everything else. This is what leads to all the crazy rules. Women can't wear slacks. If you, if you just want, you know, okay, I gave you the King James, I gave you the crazy, I gave, I gave you all these characteristics, but here's another one. If you wander into one of these churches, ladies, and you're the only one wearing slacks, if you go to one of their picnics and you're the only one wearing slacks, that's a clue, okay? They've got a rule. And all of them have this rule that women can't wear Women can't wear pants. Skirts all the time for women. So they've got all of these legalistic rules, but they get those rules from mishandling Scripture and abusing God's Word. So you could entertain yourself for hours and hours and days just listening to the sermons online from these guys. I'm going to try to pull up one, actually two, just to let you know I'm not blowing smoke with this, okay? Now, the first one that I'm going to pull up is from a gentleman that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago who was a friend of mine going back to high school. And back in high school, he got mixed up with the Hiles Anderson, Sword of the Lord, Independent Fundamental Baptist craziness. He and I was best man in his wedding. By the time I got married, he and I had parted ways. And we parted ways for these 30 years since. He's on the board of the Sword of the Lord. He's done very well in terms of the evangelist circuit. His itinerary is busy all the time, all across the country. So he goes to churches here in southeast Michigan, but in Alabama and California and literally all across the country. He's an evangelist. An evangelist in this kind of church's parlance means a guy with five suits and five sermons. And he comes to your church for a week, and he's got a different change of clothes for every night, and he's got a different sermon for every night. But he's got five sugar stick sermons. Now, you would think, if you're only having to put together five, instead of, say, I don't know, one every week, and pastor a church, these should be gems. 
right? But the abuse of God's word is rampant. Topical preaching so that you can take a phrase out of the Bible and then say whatever you feel like. Will you turn to John chapter 2? And I'm going to try to get this video up of John, my friend from high school, preaching this sermon from John 2. But I want you to see what he's going to be preaching on. John 2 is where Jesus changes the water into wine. I didn't even listen long enough to find out what he does. You know, but I, I'll tell you this, Welch's gets in there. Welch's gets in here. Somehow this becomes grape juice. But that aside, this is Jesus changing water into wine. And his, the text for his message, as you will see if I can get it to work, is in verse 9. Start in verse 8. He told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now, John's entire sermon is on the phrase, the servants who drew the water knew. That's the sermon. The the servants who drew the water knew. And the title of the sermon is, The things you learn when you become Jesus' water boy. So these guys are the water boys for Jesus. And they knew stuff. And John's going to tell you the stuff they knew. They knew the plan of God and the purpose of God and the power of God. These servants knew that because they drew the water. Now, I'm just saying, when you take a quick look at the passage, do these servants have any of these abilities he's attributing to them? Here's the way I interpret this. Jesus is at a wedding feast. They run out of wine. Jesus is using this occasion to perform his first public miracle. He tells some people to draw water, servants at the banquet, to draw water. They draw water. They know who told them to do that. This guy. They take the water to the master of the banquet. He doesn't know. And that's what John's saying. They knew who told him to draw the water. He doesn't say they knew anything else. They knew the plan of God. They knew the power of God. They knew the purpose of God. But all three of those points start with the same letter. How cool is that? Even if they're not in the passage. So you get some really good preaching that ain't in the Bible. And people come away from hearing evangelists like this and pastors like this going, wow, can that guy get a lot out of a verse? And yes, he can, because he is sucking that out of his thumb. Now, this is the thing, I get mad about a lot of this stuff. This is the thing that makes me the maddest because it's abuse of God's Word. 
and it leads to all the other junk. So, I'm going to not put you through the pain of the entire sermon. We don't have time, and I wouldn't want to put you through that, but I'm going to try to adjust to certain minute markers and see if you can get the gist. I appreciate what Dr. Don Anderson said a moment ago about the difference between a camp meeting and a conference. I think he did something that 500 Bible scholars could never do. He just put it in one statement and was spot on. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the theme, the topic, the truth of this 2012 Power Conference. Uh, It was Billy Sunday who said, if you're strangers to prayer... You're strangers to... ...of the presence and the power of God. And I'm thrilled to be here. I'm just absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you, Dr. Don Anderson. Thank you, Sunlight Baptist Church, for the privilege of being here. I'm glad to be in North Carolina because, uh, well, Sunday, Dr. and Mrs. Don Anderson marked... uh, 24 years being here, so I'm glad to be in North Carolina because of that. Amen. And then I'm glad to be in North Carolina to be with my precious friend, Dr. Phil Kidd, one of my five favorite preachers. And then I'm happy to be... All right, I'm going to keep going, but I'm happy to be here because I'm here with my friend, Dr. Phil Kidd. Now, I'm going to try to play some audio in a bit from Dr. Phil Kidd. I just want you to remember that. Dr. Phil Kidd is really cool, according to John. And he's Dr. Phil Kidd, even though he's never had a doctoral class in his life. And John is Dr. John Hamlin. Even though when we were in high school, John had to leave the high school we were in because the academics were too rigorous where we were. He doesn't have a college degree, let alone a doctoral degree. And he's also not from the South, but you'd never know it. But I'm just saying. So I'm going to try to fast forward this thing. You know, I drink too much coffee. In North Carolina because we're having the power conference. I'm happy to be here for that. And then I'm happy to be in North Carolina because, uh, well, right recently, you voted down the attempt. Nine, but the servants which drew the water knew. The word knew in the Greek language means to know, be aware, or even to understand. On a strictly personal note, Dr. Anderson, the direct brackets in this verse serve to me as a divine billboard. A Bible student of another century, once penned about our text, doing God's will, puts a spiritual telescope into our hand, whereby we can see things that are unseen and eternal, which mere eye of speculation could never see. And then he goes on and he ties up his thought by writing or a spiritual microscope which enables us to see wonderful things in God's law 
which the mere eye of curiosity could never discern. The sister verse of John 2, 9 is Psalm 25, 14. Every verse in the Bible has what I call a sister verse, and often that sister verse will throw... Every verse in the Bible has a sister verse. Where did you get that? And the sister verse of John 2.9 is somewhere in Psalms. So now he's going to yank something out of Psalms to apply to the sermon in John 2. And he's just going to slide over that. Every verse he makes a statement, doesn't support it. It's not true. Every verse in the, every verse in the New Testament can't have a companion verse in the Old Testament, or, or at least some of them have to have more than one companion, Right? The Old Testament's bigger. Secondly, the Bible, when it was written, didn't have verses. The verses are only there for us. So we can find stuff. Unfortunately, it also means guys can make stuff up. Like, you can go to Psalm and claim that this is a sister verse. Okay? So then he's going to go on on that false premise abusing the Word of God. More light upon the verse that you're musing, uh, meditating, or making a study of. Again, the sister verse of John 2, 9 is Psalm 20. For a little bit, and we'll see that here is a truth from the Bible. If we're going to know the presence, uh, and we're going to get to that in a moment, if we're going to know the plan, uh, if we're going to know the power, we're going to get to it in a moment. It is absolutely essential, Dr. Kidd, that we determine uh, uh, and desire uh, uh, and get to the destination where all we do uh, is get water for Jesus. If we'll get water for Jesus, you watch what happens, you watch what takes place, you watch what you'll see. Quickly, let's notice it tonight. What you get to know when you get to be God's water boy. Number one, the Lord's presence. All right. I'll go to one more clip and we'll be done with that. Verse 2. And both Jesus was called and his... God's water boy, the Lord's presence. If you just came in, we're in John chapter 2. I'm preaching from that little phrase in verse 9, but the servants which drew the water knew. And I'm preaching on this topic. If you just came in, what you get to know when you get to be God's water boy. And if you just came in, ushers, get a plate in front of these people so they can put in the offering. God wasn't in that, but it was hilarious. A minister. If you didn't hear him at the end there, he said, God wasn't in that, but it was hilarious, he says. So that's the kind of preaching that goes on regularly. That's the diet of Bible that people get. God's Word is abused. Dr. Phil Kidd is one of my five favorite preachers. Says John. So I'd like to see if I can pull up some audio from Phil Kidd. Don't have video, just audio. And I 
took the NIV off the shelf and I said, you want to buy this for your 62-year-old preaching husband? Looky here. You see the lady right here that instituted and edited this Bible? She is a fat, pig, dyke, sow, lesbian. Now, if you want your husband to have a Bible that was written by a fat, dyke, sow, lesbian, then pick you one up. Brother, when I said that, that old woman said, give me a King James. I'm telling you, brother, she spun around and that little girl said, but wait a She said, I said, I want a King James. That old woman didn't even know what a lesbian was, but she didn't want one. And that lady said, don't you want an NIV? Here's what she said. She said, ain't no lesbian coming in my house. And she thought it was a disease. It is a disease. I'm glad I got a copy of the Word of God. That's why I like an old leather-long man of God like John the Baptist. That'll take the Bible and preach the Word of God and knock the bark off of you. It'll keep you separated. So somebody makes a wrong turn and wanders into where that guy's preaching. And you invite him to come to Community Baptist. I don't like your odds. How pervasive is this? And where is it? Well, I've got a list if I can pull it up. Well, this, I'll show you the list of churches first. This is a list of churches just in Michigan. Now, some of you have told me, well, I want to see that list. Well, we've got eight minutes. I can't. There are 200 churches on this list in Michigan alone that are King James only, that type of church. In Michigan alone, independent, fundamental Baptist churches. I happen to know a number of them who are like that that aren't on this list. But there are 200 of them. Warren. Notice it says, can you see at the bottom there, I know it's small, Pastor Doug Brandenburg, KJB. You all see that? So we're labeled as we're a King James Bible only church. And then KJB for another guy. And then KJB West Coast Crown. So we are KJB and we're affiliated with Crown Baptist College, which is a Hiles offshoot. West Coast, which is a Hiles offshoot, and you have these alphabet soups going down, down through. Here's one in Temperance, just south of us. KJB Hiles, Crown, West Coast, Shawnee, Golden State. These are the Bible colleges that we, we support. And uh, KJB Midwestern Baptist College, which is another sort of the Lord, crazy Pontiac, Michigan. That one's in Waterford. And... Uh, on it goes. 200 churches. And if you want the list, I'll give it to you. It's an incomplete list. Pervasive, that's just Michigan. Charity Baptist Church in Brownstown is John's home church. My friend from high school. I-94 Service Drive, Belleville, Metro Baptist Church. Beautiful, huge brick, nice building. You guys know what I'm talking about? You can see it as you're going. You can see it going either way, but it's on the westbound side, service drive. And that's a Hiles church. 
that church was built from money by money from Anderson of Hiles Anderson. And so, friends, how extensive is it? Churches are in, they're all over the country, around us. And not only that, how extensive is the, is the abuse that I was talking about? There are websites all over the Internet devoted to the abuses of these guys, these kinds of guys. Here's a website called the Christian Fundamentalist Roll Call of Shame, Child Abusers in Christian Fundamentalism. Now you say, what's that got to do with Baptists? This. <laughs> all these guys are Baptists. So it's a list that goes on for four pages. Silver medalists, churches, notice, Baptist, 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 Baptist. get a free Presbyterian in there every now and then. Yeah. So I'm simply showing you that to say this is not one or two or five or ten or fifteen. Pervasive. Now in our remaining time, what do we do? trying to get off this thing so you guys will stop reading it. <laughs> All right. So in our remaining time, what, uh, what do we do? I would like to quickly go through questions that folks may have about what we're proposing and then uh, tell you where we go from here. So the first one is, uh, is why. Why, do, why are we proposing that we change our name from Community Baptist Church to Community Bible Church. Well, the last few weeks I've tried to show why. So in addition to the way our name is being co-opted and abused, similar to the way Fundamentalist has over a longer period of time, in addition to that, the name itself is losing the significance it once had because in some ways we are victims of our own success. Now here's what I mean. Most evangelical churches now are baptistic. We started 500 years ago as part of the Protestant Reformation. And we have been so successful at making the case that baptism is by immersion, that it's believer's baptism, and so on, that you now have all sorts of denominations that aren't called Baptists at all, but who have bought into those key tenets. So the name Baptist used to separate us from other people who didn't believe in believers' baptism and so on. It still does. But now there's a huge swath of Protestantism, evangelicalism, that has undergone what one historian called Baptistification. And so you've got these Baptist churches, Baptistic churches all over the place. So it's losing the significance of differentiating that it once had, but more important is the abuse that it's undergone by people like this. So why? That's why. Why now? Because I believe, and I'm not a prophet, I'm simply making as a wisdom prediction as best I can, 
I could be wrong. I don't think I will be. I believe it's going to get worse and much worse. And the reason I believe it's going to get worse is because of the communication vehicles we now have available. YouTube, Facebook. These guys have been out there for a long time. And it didn't, their craziness didn't go across the country like that, like it does today. The reason 2020 is picking up on it and CNN is picking up on it and others are picking up on it is because the Internet is picking up on it. And it's all over the place. And there are so many of these guys from which the craziness can come and be documented on the Internet that I believe it's going to get worse. So why now? It's getting worse, and I believe it's going to get worse. Secondly, our move to our building, if we are ever going to do this, this is the time to do it. So why? Why now? Some have asked, rightly, you know, you mentioned earlier the Roman Catholic Church and all the troubles they've had. They haven't changed their name. So why should we change our name? Because of all the troubles these other folks are giving to the name Baptist. I will just, my answer would be this. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly that if the Roman Catholic Church could change its name to avoid the stigma of all the abuse worldwide that it has had to that has been revealed, it would. The truth is they can't. We can. That's why. We're independent. They're not. We're one church in Trenton. So we can change, we'll change our name if we decide to do that because we can. They're not because they can't. In my view. Another question would be, well, all right then. Well, then what do we believe? I mean, if we're not Baptist anymore, what do we believe? But see, we are Baptist. And I don't believe anything different, nothing, not a thing, than I believed 11 years ago when we started this church. I don't expect I'll believe anything different 20 years from now. So I still believe Baptist doctrine. The only thing I don't believe is that the label Baptist is helpful to us now. I don't believe that. But I believe all the name that all that the name Baptist represents rightly. I believe all of that. And so, in our newcomers orientation, we give people a booklet like I will next week and in it it says Baptist and this is what Baptists believe and that will stay in our newcomers orientation material. And on our website, we will tell people that we're a Baptist church who, if we decide to change our name in December of 2012, decided to change our name to disassociate ourselves with people who have co-opted and abused the name. Right on our website. So any idea that we're trying to hide from, from what we believe is absolutely false. What we're trying to hide from is these idiots. Well, what do I tell people when I'm talking to them? You know, I invite you to come to Community Bible Church. Well, what is that? We're Baptist. Tell them that. Say we're Baptist. But we changed our name because there are too many crazy Baptists out there. And it's our hope and prayer that the person you're talking to will say, wow, they went to that extent to distance themselves from the crazy people that I've known Maybe I'll at least stick my toe in the door 
to see if they're really not as crazy as those guys. But don't shade what we are. Tell them what you are. So where do we go from here? December 2nd is our next family meeting. And on December 2nd, we as a church will vote on the leadership team's recommendation that we change our name from Community Baptist Church to Community Bible Church. We've got about six weeks. In that six weeks, our leadership team has determined that we would love to meet with any of you who have questions about that. We've got six weeks between now and then. And we will, in groups of two or three from our leadership team, sit down with any of you who would like to and talk with you as long as we can, uh, or as long as you want to, and answer every question you have as best we can. And we'd like to do that over these next six weeks, and then we come together, and then as a church we decide. Now, we do not want this to be a divisive issue for our church. We hope it won't be. I've done my best to lay out to you why I believe we should do this and why I have led our leadership team, and now our leadership team, in turn, is trying to lead our church in that direction. I've tried to be as clear as I can, as straightforward as I can. We will talk to you over these next six weeks. When this thing is done, I'm not mad if it doesn't go through. You shouldn't be mad if it does go through. Let's do this the same way we've done other things for our church. We discuss it. We express the will of our congregation. And then we move on. And then we move on together. All right? In the meantime, be thinking about that. Be praying about that. And if you have questions... Let us know, and we'd love to sit down and meet with you. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we want to first thank you for the great privilege of being your ambassadors in your world. And uh, Lord, help us to remember we represent the Lord Jesus Christ every moment of every day, individually and as a church. Help us to be wise in the way we make that representation. Lord, uh, so we are thankful and joyful because of this privilege. But we are troubled by the way the Word of God is abused. Rampantly, in many, many places that share the name that, that we hold dear. For people who stood for your truth going back centuries. Many gave their lives. And it's been co-opted and abused. We want to represent you accurately. And we want to have an opportunity to make contact with and relationship with and give the gospel to as many people as we can in Trenton and beyond. And so, Lord, we have to make some uh, decisions that are are large and will be with us for many years to come. We have this, we believe, window of opportunity. So we ask for you to grant us unity and grant us wisdom as we pray about this uh, important decision. Go with us this week as we represent you in our homes and workplaces and neighborhoods. And we ask you to bring us back safely next Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.